are the King of Kings. You are the Lord of Lords. You're the ultimate King for all of our days, God. Thank you so much. Thank you. We worship you this morning. We worship you. We thank you. We praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise you. morning there's two verses that keep traveling through my mind that you know I always pray what am I going to say and uh, you know you think a preacher would have something to say all the time but uh, anyway so I got these two verses just crisscrossing my brain and the first one is in Psalm 23 he says the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want I shall not lack and this morning, if you're lacking anything, if you feel like the church is not making things up to their full potential, if you're lacking anything this morning, I want you to take hold of that. I want you to say or, or take hold of that the Lord is my shepherd. He's my leader. And I shall not lack. I shall not want for anything. I mean, I, I think we miss how big... Our God is sometimes. You know, we get so, our eyes get so fixed on the culture that we live in that sometimes we try to adapt or our, our thinking and don't go to a certain degree. So that's where my second, that's where my second scripture comes in. And I think it's in Ephesians 3 that says that He has an exceedingly abundance, exceeding abundance. I just like that word, exceeding abundance. And what that means is that he is without limit. And so many times we put a limit on ourselves or a limit on God. And in Psalm 78, it says that, that the Lord is grieved when we put our limits on him. When we limit him. I'm, I'm telling you, if you ain't been praying huge prayers, unbelievable, incredible prayers, been praying small prayers, medium prayers. Man, let's go for the Lord. Let's go for the big goal, right? Let's let's go for the unlimited. Unlimited. When Rhett and Lacey got married, we went to Mexico to an all-inclusive resort. I mean, I could go to the steakhouse and get as many steaks as I wanted because I already paid for it. fact about it is, is we can't put limits on God. God is unlimited. He is all inclusive. He has more than you'll ever know. I cannot tell you how many times I've asked him, Lord, you have a cattle on a thousand hills. Could you just sell one for me? Just take it to the auction. Nobody else felt that way before. That's the way I feel Let's stop putting limits on God. Let's 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 pray prayers that are out of bounds. Bigger than who we are, bigger than who this earth is. Amen. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you so much. I thank you for your word, God, most of all. And I thank you that you confirm your word over and over and over again. That you cannot be limited, that you cannot be tapped out. 
Father, I pray that you would help us to change our thinking into a thinking that says that we don't lack anything because you are our shepherd. I thank you, Father, for what you do. I thank you, God, that if anybody in this room is feeling or, or saying that they're that they're lacking, Father, I pray that your presence, your encounter would move into their life and bring exceedingly abundantly above all that they could ask or think. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, if you would, turn around, tell somebody hello, give them a high five, give them a fist bump, do something, make them feel welcome. technical difficulties up here. I had somebody taller than me preaching up here. Um, I don't have any idea who that could be. Um, and she had on high heels last week. So, so with that, how y'all doing today? Man, it's, I was standing in my chair during worship and all of a sudden I just got these massive, massive butterflies. I was like, why, why am I, why, is it the Krispy Kreme I had this morning? No, couldn't be. That's good stuff. But I haven't been up here in over a month. So it's been, uh, I miss y'all. I miss y'all. It's, it's good to be back up here. You know, what a difference a week makes. I mean, we were packed out last weekend. Okay, I ain't going there. Uh, <laughs> Anyways, I want to I want to welcome everybody this morning. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, and and um, did did I deserve to be the lead pastor? No, but I was just the first one here. So, uh, anyways, it's uh, it's an honor to get to to stand before you all this morning and and minister to you. Uh, pastor Lynette's out in California this weekend, so we want to say hello to our Kingdom Ranch. Uh, ministry people. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your life and thanks for coming into our world. So with that, um, man, it's a, it's a, it's a good day. I didn't get much sleep last night because my wife wasn't there. And so I'm, I'm missing my queen and I just took her there for yesterday morning. So I get all weepy and stuff. Um, anyways, um, man, we, we have, we have come off of some of the best ministry that I believe that we've ever had in the last three or four weeks. I mean, there's just message after message and, and the power of God hitting. It, it is so cool to see what God is doing in, here at this church. Amen. Um, you know, last week, Pastor Lynette talked about Ezekiel and the, and the dry bones that God told him to go speak to those dry bones and bring resurrection to those dry bones. And how we should be uh, speaking to our dry places, you know, places that have we thought had died, and God wants to resurrect those things. Amen. And so she talked about that. That was an incredible, incredible message. In the week before that, some some punk kid was up here, and uh, now my my son Rhett preached that weekend, and wow, what a, you know, I. 
Lynette and I had the uh, the honor of sending our kids to a Christian, private Christian school all their life, from preschool to to twelfth grade, and and uh, sometimes we question the values of a Christian school. That's that's tough to say, but sometimes we question things and what uh, what they were teaching and things like that. But God gave us the the means to put them through that school. It's a great school, but. When he got up here and preached, I was like, man, that is so good. I don't see how he got that talented except for me. <laughs> but, uh, no, was, you know, it, it was a message on being qualified. You know, God don't, uh, don't call the qualified. I'm saying that right, right? God don't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. And so when we come into, to, uh, God's world, when we ask Jesus to come into our life, when we're born again, when we're saved, when we've experienced salvation, man, it's a, it's a thing that God qualifies us to, with a message. He gives us a message. He gives us a testimony to be able to, uh, to talk about. Amen? Amen. So Rhett talked about being qualified as a minister, and that doesn't mean, uh, just standing in a pulpit type of ministry. It means that if you are, if you have the Holy Spirit, you are a minister. Get over yourself and just start ministering, all right? Amen. Amen. And then the week before that, man, we had a great weekend with Pastor Chip Brim. And I'll tell you what, I've heard him preach before, but he brought the house down. He brought the house down big time Saturday night and Sunday of that week. If you haven't heard I encourage you to go back and listen to it on podcast. Or Is this still up on our website? Or So you can go to our website and pull it up. But man... Such a such a transforming message, uh, being all in, and man, the 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 response that you guys made to him and that ministry filled this front area, and y'all received. And I believe that y'all are all in. Amen. Who's all in? Come on, Smurfs. Who's all in? All right, good deal, good deal. So if you have your Bibles this morning. I'm not going to waste any time because I got a lot of stuff to talk about this morning. But uh, if you have your Bibles, if you would go over to John chapter 12, John chapter 12, and I'm I'm going to be talking about a story or using a story as a context about a man named Lazarus. Have you ever heard of Lazarus? I mean, most church people have heard of Lazarus, but just in case you don't know who Lazarus is, I'm saying that kind of funny, Lazarus. Um, if you don't know who Lazarus is, I'm going to tell you because his story starts in John chapter 11. So you don't have to go over there, but just leading up to where I'm going today <clears throat> about Lazarus, um, in John chapter 11 is where Lazarus story happens. And, and this story is that Lazarus and his sisters, Mary and Martha, who are mentioned several times in the gospel, those three kids were friends and followers of Jesus. I mean, they were, they were as tight, almost as tight with Jesus as the, the 12 disciples. So, um, the Bible calls, uh, calls Lazarus his Jesus friend. So he was, uh, he was a confidant of Jesus. Jesus had impacted this family so big that all the kids, I guess all the kids, three of the kids of the family, our followers are tight with Jesus. And so 
Um, there, there was a day that, that Jesus and his disciples were in another town, and all of a sudden they got tracked down by someone who knew Mary and Martha who had sent that person to Jesus to tell, the, tell him that Lazarus was sick. And they, they needed him to come and, and, and pray over him, do whatever, you know, they, what, what people do to preachers, you know, come to my house and pray over this person or this thing. It's good. It's a good thing. So, so Jesus got word that Lazarus was sick and, and Jesus being, um, being God, a, a God man, so to speak, a superhero, um, you'll get that later. Um, knew, he knew that Lazarus was going to die of this sickness. But he didn't go anywhere. He stayed where he was. He stayed in that town for two more days, it said. And he's talking to his disciples about Lazarus. They're saying, do we need to go? Do we need to go? He said, he said, no. He said, he's sleeping. And, of course, doubting Thomas, you know, Thomas the doubter speaks up and gives some of his wisdom and says, well, if he's, if he's sleeping, then that's a good thing because he'll get well if he just rests a little bit. And Jesus says, no, he's dead. He's dead. He done, he done died. So we say in Oklahoma, he done died. And, and so, um, <laughs> Jesus finally takes off and heads that way. And, <laughs> The, the girls, Mary and Martha, was wanting Jesus to come sooner than that, you know. Uh, they they got kind of got upset about things. But let me tell you something. Nothing or no one, and they should have known better than anyone, that nothing and no one uh, tells Jesus what to do except God. He told them that several times. He said, I don't do anything, I don't say anything that God don't tell me to say. And so... Just because Lazarus was sick and he knew it and he knew he was going to die, he wasn't in no hurry to get nowhere because God hadn't told him yet. So when God finally told him to go, when he arrived at where, at Bethany, the, the, the town that they lived in, when he arrived there, um, Lazarus had already been in the grave for four days. And so he, he's, he's dead. I mean, he's dead. And so the sisters are still in mourning after four, four or six days, whatever it was, a week. Um, and so they're, they're upset at Jesus because he comes walking into town. He don't even make it to where they were. They ran out to meet him and said, why didn't you come sooner? He's dead. If my, if, if you would have been here, my brother wouldn't have died. How would you like to carry that weight that Possibly it's your fault that the guy died. Right? Y'all with me this morning? So, uh, Jesus, um, you know, he's telling them, I'm not, I'm not on your time. I'm on God's time. And, and things will, things will be all right. Things will work out. So he began to declare life to Martha, uh, and Mary over Lazarus. He began to declare life over him. Even though he had been in the grave for four days, even though that if they rolled away the stone, he's going to stink. Even though all of these things, even though the, the, the fact of the matter is, Jesus knew the facts, but he knew more of the truth. He knew the truth. And this is, this is what he told, this is what he told, uh, Martha. He said, uh, it says here in John eleven twenty three. you don't have to go over there if you don't want to. We'll put it up on the screen. 
says, Jesus told her, your brother will rise again. Yes, Martha said, he will rise when everyone else rises at the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? I guess. I, you know, it sounds really good, but my, my brother's still dead. My brother's there. And if you would have been here, come on. If you would have been here, can, I cannot tell you how many times somebody has said to me, if you would have been here, trying to make it my fault. I'm just doing what God's tried to tell me to do, you know. That's not a personal pick. I'm not trying to pick any fights or anything. But what Jesus did in that moment in Lazarus' story is he pushed through all the doubts. He pushed through all the fears. He pushed through all the ridicule. People were laughing at him, were goading him, were ribbing him about, uh, yeah, you're going to wake this guy up. You're going to, oh, he's just asleep for four days. He's been dead and he stinks, you know. So... Jesus pushes through all that. He stands at the entrance of the tomb and he prays. And the shortest verse in the Bible says that Jesus wept. He didn't weep over Lazarus being dead or weep over, over, um, you know, I hope, I hope God works. I hope God raises him from the dead. He's not crying over that. He's not weeping over that. He's weeping over the people having compassion on them, saying, God, they don't believe. They don't believe. I've been preaching this stuff for three years, and they don't believe. And he begins to weep, not out of anger, but out of compassion for the people around there. Say, now, God, do your work. Do your work. And he steps up to the entrance of that tomb, and he says, Lazarus, come forth. And when he said it, he yelled it, screamed it, And that dead Lazarus came out of that grave alive. He came out of that grave alive. The greatest picture I have of that is when Jesus said, when Jesus finally sees him come to the door of the cave, Jesus says, loose him and let him go. You know what that meant? He was mummified. He was wrapped. And and he comes. (laughs) Somebody help me. Jesus said, loose him and let him go. And so here's, here's Laz, you know, he's, he's back alive. And, and what is it, you know, I don't, I don't know what he's thinking. I mean, uh, he's experienced and gone places that most people don't get to go. I mean, he's, uh, to be out, to be out of the body is to be in the presence of the Lord, right? That's what the Bible says. I mean, he's been, he's been in God, in Father God's presence for four days. I mean, who would want to leave? Once you get to heaven, who would want to leave? But Jesus called him back. I better go do what Jesus is telling me to do. Come out of the cave. Somebody untie me. But all out of all of the miracles that Jesus did in three and a half years of ministry, out of all the miracles that he did, this one miracle was a game changer for the Jewish religious people around him. It drove such an intense anger in, in, in these men 
it drove such an intense anger that they just they just wanted to kill everybody. They wanted to kill Jesus. They wanted to kill anyone who had any association with Jesus. And so this brings me this this miracle that I just told you about of Lazarus brings me to this story here in John chapter twelve. John chapter twelve, verse one, it says this. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. The man who the, the man he had raised from the dead. A dinner was being prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served, and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Then Mary took twelve a twelve ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it, wiping his feet with her hair. The house was filled with with the fragrance. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, I mean, old John, he just puts it out there, don't he? I mean, he's not afraid to put it out there the way it is. He's the disciple that would betray Jesus. That perfume was worth, uh, and Judas said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Not that he cared for the poor. He was a thief. John got it going on, don't he? He was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some for himself. Embezzlement. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did, she did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. When all the people heard of Jesus' arrival, they flocked to see him and also to see Lazarus, the man Jesus had raised from the dead. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. For, uh, for it was because of him that many of the people had deserted them and believed in Jesus. This is fascinating to me because people, people want to respond to power. People want to respond to the power of the Holy Spirit. When they see the power of the Holy Spirit in operation, when they see miracle signs and wonders, when they see revival, I think about this, this, what was it, the Asbury revival they had out in Kentucky a few, uh, a month ago, a few weeks ago, whatever. Yeah. And when people heard that there were things happening, that there was a move of the Spirit, that the miracles began to happen and things like that, people just flocked to that. You know, was it a revival? I don't know. I, 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 it was a good thing. I can tell you that. Maybe we'll get down the road and see that it was a authentic revival. Some people say it was. I, cool. Be a part. But people are drawn to that power of the Holy Spirit, that encounter of the Holy Spirit. But the religious who think they know everything push back because it upsets their move. It upsets their uh, rhythm of life. And they've been, you know, the Jews have been in this rhythm for thousands of years. Uh, this is the way, this is the way um, God followers should act and be, right? And so Jesus is doing miracles and breaking all the rules of what they thought. And so I started thinking about this and as I was putting this together, 
I started thinking about back on my story. <clears throat> Many of you have heard my story before, but uh, some of you may haven't. I grew up in a denominational church, and in that, and my mom is probably watching this morning, so I'll keep it, I'll keep it uh, clean. Okay. <laughs> so I grew up in this denominational church that that my mama drug us to, and uh, sorry, mom. Uh, I remember, I remember one particular Sunday morning. I was about five years old. I remember this one particular Sunday morning. I'd been to, to Sunday school and then we transitioned into the main church, the big church. We call it big church. And we come into the main room and the pastor would get up and deliver a message. And so I remember this one morning I'd went to, uh, um, Sunday school, got out of there, come into the main church. I was probably, I probably had a handful of, of, uh, hot wheels cars. And I'm just driving them on the, on the pew, you know. And the preacher ended, the pastor ended his sermon with the very thing that he ended every week on. Is if you have never asked Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life. If you've never asked him to come in your heart, I'm inviting you now to, to do that. And so, uh, every once in a while, we would have somebody go forward. Well, I remember tugging on my mom's skirt and going, I think I need to go. And, you know, my mom was a good mom and she's like, okay, I don't want this to be a fad. She really, she really saw on the inside of herself. If, if I had just heard this, if I was really genuine about it, if I was authentic about it. And, and I felt like I was, but she says, okay, I tell you what, we'll go home from here. Don't, don't go up there. We'll go home from here. We'll talk about it. We'll see how you feel tonight because that's the kind of church it was Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. And, and so we're going back tonight and, and, uh, we'll, if you're still feeling that way, we'll, we'll, we'll get, uh, Brother Connie to, to pray for you. I said, all right. So we go back that night and I hear a message and at the end of the service, he gives the altar call. And when he gives the altar call, I tug on my mom's skirt and I said, I think I need to go. And she said, all right, come on. So we went up there and brother Connie Carricker, pastor, come out of the pulpit. He come down there to the altar with me. I remember him kneeling down with me and, and praying the sinner's prayer with me. Five years old. It's pretty cool, isn't it? I like that. And I was, I was a faithful. No, I ain't going to say that because that's kind of a, that's kind of a lie. My mom kept me faithful to, to go to church. That's what I'm trying to say. I wasn't, you know, in myself. I was, I was just a kid, you know, I'm doing stupid stuff. But now I'm, I'm saved. And, and for the next 12 years, I, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I know I'm a Christian. I tell my friends at school I'm a Christian. I tell people that I'm a Christian. I, I, I try to live the life that God wants me to live. Because of some things going on in the church, some things that I saw that I didn't like at 17 years old, I thought I was smarter than everybody, all that good stuff. I mean, I know you haven't been there, but that's where I was. I thought I was smarter than everybody, and, and so I turned my back on church. I didn't turn my back on Jesus. However, I, at that time, I, I felt as though that if I'm not in church, then I'm not saved, right? So that's, that's the way I felt. But I didn't care. And so I went off to college and did college stuff. 
Don't look at me so holy. You know what I'm talking about. I did college stuff. I did, I did 17 to 22 year old stuff. And, um, and I was good at it. My goodness, I was good. I was so good at it. She knows now. I, uh, it never fails every time I go back home and I sit down at the table, me and my brother get to talking about things. And my mom goes, you did that? <laughs> yeah, I did. Stupid. So I, I, I just, I lived the way I wanted to. I lived the way I wanted to, yet knowing deep down in my spirit what was right. I knew what was right in my heart, but uh, it was lying dormant. I, I just pushed it down, pushed it down, pushed it down. But at 23 years old, a guy put a book in my hands called Apostle Cowboy Style. I meant to grab one when I come in here. We got some in the in the uh, uh, bookstore in there. But uh, I was reading that book. Guy put it in my hands. I took it home and read it in one night. And so at chapter 9 of that book, I read some things and I said, I can't get past this. I put the book down. I did what, what my church taught me to do. I got down beside my bed. And you know, the most, most powerful prayers that you can pray are beside your bed. Is what I thought. I mean, I, that's what the church did, told you to do, and that's what I saw my mama doing. And so um, I got down beside my bed. I asked Jesus to forgive me for living for myself, and, and, and I truly believe that I truly got born again at that moment. I never felt anything like it before. And, you know, some people say, well, you know, don't just ignore your feelings. No, God gave you those feelings. You don't be lorded by them and led by them, but you can sure enough pay attention to them. So I, I read that book, and, and Glenn Smith, my father in the ministry, is the one that wrote that book. And he was a true evangelist. I remember me and Lynette would go to Glenn and Ann's house and down around is in Post, Texas, and we'd always go into Lubbock to eat. And... Uh, that we would sit down in a restaurant and before we would get our drink order handed in, Glenn and Ann had started ministering to the waitress or the waiter. I cannot tell you how many times I've watched them before I even get my iced tea. They have prayed the sinner's prayer with that person and, and got, they got saved before I even get my tea. And so I, I got to watch these things happen. I got to watch the gospel being preached from a true evangelist. I mean, you could talk about butter and toast or something like that. And people, you know, Glenn could get up and talk about toast and butter and get people born again, just like that. You know, people praying the sinner's prayer, getting saved. And so what a, his, the culture of the book was in the culture that I was, this cowboy culture. And I found out that you can be a cowboy and be a Christian at the same time. I didn't think that you could. You remember, you remember the Lane Frost movie, Eight Seconds, and the you know the tough Hedeman character says, "We're drinking, loving, fighting cowboys." That's what I thought it was. I didn't know you could be a Christian. Now all that got changed out, right? So, so here I was, and I rededicated my life to to Jesus, and so for the last thirty years, I've been a Christian. The last thirty years, I've answered the call of God. The last 30 years have been 
some of the best years, but some of the worst years of my life. And it makes me lean into my Christianity so much more. Some days I've been a better Christian than other days during that time. Some days I've been all in. Some days I haven't. Some days I've felt qualified. Some days I haven't. Some days I've spoken to my dry bones. And some days I just let them lie there. And I, I just, I just want to do this thing right. Like you guys, you know, you just want to do it right. And I, I want to be honest with you because I think that y'all have those days too. Y'all have those moments, those times. But it was the gospel of Jesus that changed my life. So what is the gospel? What is the gospel? When you look up the word gospel in the Bible, it comes back to being translated as good news. It's good news. It's glad tidings. It's what the angel said when Jesus was born to the shepherds. They said, glad tidings have come to the earth. Good news, the gospel has come to this earth. And so the gospel is good news. It's the good news of Jesus' life and Jesus' death. It's the good news that changed our life and our death. The gospel of life and death of Jesus paid for and redeemed our lives. Amen? He bought us with that. He bought us with the gospel. But it was the resurrection that made the difference. You may have come last week and you, you may have said, well, Lynette's preaching about Ezekiel and dry bones. She's not preaching a resurrection message. Yes, yeah, she preached a resurrection message, all right. But it may not be the traditional one. So I'm going to go back to that one. So today you may go, well, this is what I come to the Easter service for. Well, better be glad you showed up in the week because there's some that didn't because there's holes. It's the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus that makes the difference in our lives. Just like Lazarus, Jesus called us out of our grave. When he called us, when he, when we heard the gospel the first time, when we heard somebody talk about Jesus' life and Jesus' death, Jesus' blood, Jesus' resurrection, when we heard those things, something clicked on the inside of us at one point or another. That said, that makes sense. I don't know where we're going with that, but that makes sense to me. And that's because the resurrection is the essence of the gospel. It's the essence of the gospel. And so there's, there's, a, there's a way that the Holy Spirit makes it make sense for us. Amen? Here's Jesus just a little, a little less than a week before he's going to go to the cross and die. He knows, he knows what's coming. But it ain't the first time he's thought about death because he's had death threats from the very beginning. I mean, people making death threats. I mean, the first time he preaches, the first time he preaches in Luke chapter four, he preaches out of Isaiah 60. He preaches to them. And when he closes the book and he tells them, you know, this is the good news. I am the good news. I am the resurrection and life. They grabbed a hold of him 
and took him out behind the church or behind the synagogue and was going to throw him off. It says he was going to throw him off the cliff. How's that a welcome into ministry? Yeah. I mean, but they couldn't because they couldn't kill him. They, he, had, he was Lord over death and they couldn't kill him. But they take him and hang him out over the edge. He's like, I don't think so today, boys. And it says he walked right back through the middle of them and they couldn't touch him. So he's used to death threats. He's used to this things mounting, uh, mounting up for him and, and threatening him and trying to keep him out of going certain places. I don't know if I told you this, but he only does what God told him, told him to do, right? But <clears throat> since raising Lazarus from the dead, all of a sudden these death threats begin to increase. And, you know, the, the religious people were thinking, if I can just get them in the same room, well, here's their opportunity. They're having a, a dinner for Jesus, and the head of the table is Lazarus. I love I, looking at this. I, I think whose story at this moment is more moving, more compelling than anyone's story? Is it Jesus' story or is it Lazarus' story? It's, it's the first time. It's the first time that the Bible says or the Bible points out that Lazarus all of a sudden becomes more. His story becomes more compelling because, because he was raised from dead and he didn't ask for this story. He had this story and people begin to convert from their religion over because of Lazarus. That's what it said. They begin to leave their religion for Jesus because of Lazarus. Why? Why did they? Why was this such a powerful deal? It was a powerful deal because it was the resurrection of life. The resurrection. You know, you can't even be born again without knowing that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. I mean, we, we a lot of times will preach the gospel or minister the gospel to someone, and we'll talk about Jesus' life. And then we talk about his death, and we talk about the blood. But we don't mention the re- resurrection because we, we sometimes think the gospel is about life and death. It's not about life and death. The essence of the gospel is about the resurrection. That's why baptism is so powerful is because it's not a matter of getting in a tank and getting wet. It's about doing what Jesus or symbolizing what Jesus did in being resurrected from the dead. Taking all of our old trash, leaving it under the water and coming out, being raised new. That's a that's the testimony of the resurrection and what the resurrection is about. Amen? Resurrection in... Um, resurrection makes us dangerous. Resurrection makes us dangerous. See, it's not the life of Jesus in our life that worries and intimidates the enemy. It's, it's not the death of Jesus that quakes and trembles the kingdom of the enemy. It's the resurrection that scares the enemy. Because when we encounter the resurrection we become dangerous. We become dangerous. The gospel is dangerous because it scares religion. 
it scrambles the plan of the pious. Those who really don't want to know Jesus will disdain the resurrection. So what was what was Lazarus doing during the doing during this time? I mean the the he's sitting there at the table. I, I don't see a word that Lazarus says here, anything. He's got his mouth full of food. I don't know if four days in the grave makes you hungry, but he he's sitting there. All he's doing is eating supper, and these people want to kill him for eating supper because he's alive and he was dead. And it just blew their whole religious thing apart. That's what the resurrection does. That's what the proof that he was living in the power of the resurrection does for us when we live in the power of the resurrection. Amen? Amen. That is the power of the resurrection. Is that it brings death to life. Amen? Amen. When Rhett was preaching a couple of weeks ago, he said something that he said I said. He said something that he said I said. And I did say that to him, and he did put it in his notes. But I had heard it somewhere, so I wasn't that smart. But what he said in his um, in his talk was to preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. I found out that was St. Francis of Assisi that, that said that. He was a mystic. So... I think he was born in 1100 or something like that, 1200. So it was a long time ago. I mean, when you say something profound, this sticks around, doesn't it? <laughs> Preach the gospel all the time, and if necessary, use words. So I heard I heard this minister on a podcast the other day, and, and I was listening to it, and he was talking about seeing a movie. He had watched a movie on a guy named, I'm going to have to look at his name because he's, he's Brazilian, and he said his name was Ayrton Senna. Ayrton Senna. Ayrton Senna was a multi-time F1 um, Grand Prix IndyCar driver and uh, multiple-time champion. And he was this race car driver that would flirt with life when he got in the car at driving 200 miles an hour around around a racetrack. And Ayrton Senna was a believer. He was a Christian. And he he was in competition. I was looking at his life story, and and he was in competition. Or his arch rivals were other men on the on the racetrack that they would trade their spots back and forth, first, second, first, second, third. I mean, they would both, and they didn't like each other. So it made for good racing if you're into that kind of stuff. But what I what I found out about Ayrton Senna is that he was a devout Catholic. And he was a believer in Jesus. Oftentimes in the pits, he could be seen sitting down, reading his Bible, or sitting and praying. And I think that probably being a um, Formula One racer is probably about the same thing as riding bulls, you know. There, there is no atheist in behind the chutes, you know. Uh, and, and so here, here was Senna, um, a very open and, and devout believer in Jesus, follower of Jesus. So what was fascinating is what his rivals had said in the news conference. 
This is, this is what, I don't know which rival it was, but this is what they said. Senna should not be allowed to race because he believes in God and is not afraid of death, which makes him a danger on the racetrack. It makes him dangerous on the racetrack. Ain't that about the stupidest thing? But that's the way they felt. That's the way they saw it. They felt like that he had no, he was known for driving over his head. And that's when I used to race motorcycles. That's what we'd call it when somebody was just all out, but no, they was, they was fast, but no control. They was riding over their head and you become, you become a liability at that point. But that's, that had nothing to do with his Christianity, his belief in God, other than he wasn't afraid of death. As a matter of fact, Senna died in the race car in 1994. He died in the race car. He hit a, hit a concrete wall at 140 miles an hour. But he said, this is the way I want to live my life. When he's asked about it, he said, this is the way I want to live my life. I want to live my life to the full all the days of my life. And I can guarantee you, he, he can see that wall coming. And it's coming fast. And I believe a half a second before he hit that wall, he was fully alive. Fully alive. He was doing what he loved. He was doing what he felt he was called to. He was doing what he felt uh, conveyed the gospel of Jesus to everybody else. And he died in a one-person crash. He, he didn't become a danger on the racetrack. But that's how dangerous the gospel is. That people see that the resurrection, the gospel of the resurrection, is a dangerous thing. See, what made Lazarus dangerous was that he wasn't afraid of death. Even if they killed him again, he knew what to expect. Ain't that the biggest thing for all of us who haven't died? Is that we think, I wonder what it's like. I wonder, I wonder what it is, that transition. I had a, I had a friend of mine, my best friend during my rebellion years, just passed away night before last, or yesterday, early yesterday morning. And, um, I, my prayer for him, cause I knew, I knew when he went into the hospital, went into hospice, that, you know, you go to hospice and it's not good. And so he, he went into hospice and my prayer for him was that God just make his transition smooth. Just make it smooth. Did I preach the gospel to him? Many times. I never prayed the sinner's prayer with him, but that don't matter. In his dying moment, in his full, most fully alive moment, in the middle of the last breath he pulls, there is a door open. For him to say yes to Jesus. I had told him about that. I had, I had ministered that to him. Our other friend ministered that to him. And so I'm, I'm fully, I'm fully convinced. I, I, I told my other friend, I said, Mike, tell, tell John that I'll see him on the other side. Because I fully believe that he went there. But it's, it's that moment of being fully alive. 
that we're not afraid of death. Lazarus is going, hey guys, you want to kill me? Been there, done that, got the t-shirt to prove it. (laughs) You can kill me all you want to. Did you know that we don't have any record of Lazarus dying again? I mean, Jesus' resurrection is a good resurrection. He could still be alive today. Just throwing that out there. In Hebrews chapter 13, verse 6 from the Passion Translation, it says, So we can say with great confidence, I know the Lord is for me, and I will never be afraid of what people may do to me. We can't be afraid of what people will do to us. Because the gospel that we've been given, the gospel that we have been given to steward, the gospel wasn't given to us to keep for ourselves. The gospel was given to us to change us in order to change people, to change our world, the world that, that God has set us in. We've all been commissioned to steward the gospel of Jesus. That's what Rhett was talking about. We've all been, we've all been commissioned. The good news of the resurrection. Mark chapter 16, verse 15. You all have heard this before probably. It says, and he said, Jesus said to them, his disciples, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. You got to preach it. This is first and foremost. This is, this is salvation 101. 1.0. This is the original version is that we've been given a gospel to take to our world. What's the world? It's the, the world is not the globe. That's not what the word means. It's not the globe. It's not going to Africa and teaching them how to eat with a fork and a knife. It's not, it's not going to South America. It's not going to Canada. It's not going somewhere in this world. That's what people are afraid of sometimes. It's about going to your world and your realm of influence. There is a world around you that God wants you to reach first. It, it travels and it multiplies. I remember getting involved in a thing called Amway. Did you all get involved in a thing called Amway? You all remember Amway? You know, you'd have that one good friend that invites you to the restaurant to start drawing circles on a piece of paper and tell you how much a cleaning product can help your... Stupid. It's stupid. But I bought in, you know. I bought in when I didn't even have any money. Anyways, why did I say that? Oh, uh, because it multiplies. The gospel <laughs> multiplies and it spreads. And, and it begins to pick up pace. It's not about one to another. It's about one to many. And God begins to drive us into, into places when he knows that we're faithful with the gospel. See, the gospel that we've been given is a dangerous gospel. It's dangerous to us because... Because there's people that won't like us, people that will curse us, people that will spit at us. There, you know, people get pretty angry about it sometimes. But that should not drive us to not preach the gospel. You know, what, what are we going to die for it? Well, in some cultures, you do. In some countries, you do. And in, in time frames, there has been people that die. And there, there are many who have died. There, there's many who've died for the gospel's sake. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, they did not love their lives so much as they were afraid to die. They didn't love their lives. They was willing to, 
to put their life aside and and allow whatever to come to come because the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus is more important than anything that we've been given. That's that's who we are. And we carry a dangerous gospel. We're not it's not only a danger to us, but it can be a or it can be to us, but it is a danger to the kingdom of the enemy. Death, hell and the grave cannot stand up to the resurrection because it goes cross-grained to everything that death, hell, and the grave believe in. They believe in death, hell, and the grave. But resurrection supersedes that every time. Every time. So I want you to think about something real quick. Rhett, come on up. I want you to think about something. When is the last time that you shared the gospel? I ask this question because I ask myself this question. When was the last time that I led somebody to the Lord? When's the last time that I preached the gospel? Well, you know, technically, I can get away with this because I'm up here a lot. I mean, last week during communion, I preached the gospel. Right? So technically, I can say that I do it almost every week. But let me tell you something. I had to really check myself in that. Because almost every day I go somewhere. Almost every day I'm around people. I prefer to be at home with my dogs and my, 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 my queen. But I go out and I, and I see people. I remember sitting on a plane with, with uh, Marilyn Hickey. If you all know who Marilyn Hickey is, she's a, she is a phenomenal preacher of the gospel. And I just so happened to get on the plane, get in my seat, and she comes and sits right beside me. And I tapped her on the shoulder and I said, and I, I was almost, we was almost coming in to land. We was on final approach. And I had said nothing to her. And I, I reached over and I said, Mrs. Hickey, I said, thank you for paving the way for ministers like myself. Thank you. And she says, oh, you're welcome. Here's a book. I want to give you a book. It was, she didn't even write it. She just gave me a book. <laughs> she said, it's given to me and I just read it. So here, you can have this. And she says, do you see that gentleman right there? I said, yes, ma'am. He says, he's sick and he needs prayer. I said, really? You going to pray? <laughs> that's, that's what my wife does to me. She says, hey, I think we need to pray. You pray. You brought it up. You pray. But I wasn't about to say that to Marilyn Hickey. So what she was doing to me was just wanting me to share with someone. Every day we come into contact with people that need to, we need, we need to not be afraid to share. We need, we need to not be afraid of the death that they might speak to us. I mean, they're not going to kill us, but they can kill us with their words, right? So does our, when I say when's the last time you shared the gospel, does our lifestyle and does our lifestyle in public reflect his resurrection? Everywhere you go, you're carrying his resurrection. 
Does our lifestyle in private reflect his resurrection? There are so many tools that have been developed over the years um, to, to teach us or to empower us to preach the gospel. There was a thing called the four, four spiritual laws. Anybody ever heard of that? There's a few. There was one called Way of the Master. We used to teach that years ago here in this church. There's one called the Roman Road. And if you Google all this stuff, if you Google what are the best ways to, to minister the gospel to someone, you'll get a slew of stuff. But here's the deal. You can do that, and it affects people's lives. But when you're what you carry on the outside and you walk the walk and you talk the talk, that is the greatest form of the gospel that can ever be be communicated. Because it will open the door. Your life will, your resurrected life will open the door to give you the opportunity to share the gospel with someone. I heard it preached years ago that said, you got to earn the right to offend somebody. So strike up a conversation with them. Ask them where they're at. I love to get our waitress's name and then I'll think about what her name means in the kingdom of heaven. And I begin to share that. Can I just tell you something to make you smile? And so that's, that's what I do. That's what I do. It's been a long time since I've done that. And I need us to bring it back. I need us to bring it back to bold. Not to worry about death. Not to, because resurrection, we've been resurrected. Let's have a funeral for ourselves, right? Let's have a funeral for ourselves. Let's die to self. That's what the Bible says. See, the power of the resurrection only works if we have truly died. Because dead people don't fear rejection. I mean, you go out to the cemetery and yell at all you want to. Tell them how stupid they are and all that kind of stuff. They don't care. If you see a hand pop up, you better run. <laughs> Dead people don't fear rejection. Dead people don't feel insecure. Dead people don't worry about imposing on someone else. Dead people don't worry about offending someone else. And dead people don't have to be qualified or feel unqualified to preach the gospel. I think I mentioned it when Chip was here, but I heard a minister say he was he was in a bad part of Dallas and he felt like that God had told him to go there and minister to people on like a Friday night or something like that. And he said, he said, the closer I got to the place where I was supposed to go minister to people on the street, he said, I started fearing for my life. I feared that, I, you know, if I get out of this, if I get out of my car here, I'm going to die. Somebody's going to kill me. And God spoke to him. He said, I, I was looking for a, I was looking for a scripture, you know, greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world, you know, that uh, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. He's looking for a scripture. But God told him, he said, you need to die right here to yourself. Because if you'll die, I'll take you 
where dead men walk. Man, that's what we need. I'm encouraging you that if you're born again, if you've asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, then you have the gospel of the resurrection on the inside of you. That's why you are who you are. And God will take you where dead men walk. All of our reasons and all of our excuses that we can bring about sharing, to to talk us out of sharing Jesus with someone is our lack of realizing the power of the resurrection or that we are truly resurrected. I want to tell you guys today, you are truly resurrected. That gospel that Jesus has given to you, given to us, is dangerous. And we need to start being dangerous. We need to be the people like Lazarus that don't fear death because I've already been there, done that. If you have never asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, if you've never said yes to him, you've never given, submitted your life to him, if you've never done that, right now is the time to do that. Because you're not promised tomorrow. And I'm not having a church service tonight. So right now is the time. This is the time. This is the place. And you're the people. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, I want you to just sit there right now and say, Jesus, I give you my life. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know what's ahead of me. I don't know what all this means, this Jesus stuff. But I give you my life because I believe that the gospel of the resurrection lives in me. Your resurrection, what you did, has paid the price for me to steward this gospel and be a world changer. But the world starts changing in your realm of influence with the new thing that you got. Let's pray real quick. Heavenly Father, I thank you and I praise you so much for this day. I thank you for the gospel. Jesus, I thank you for being obedient to say yes to the cross. That knowing what was out there, knowing that you was paying for my life and the life of so many others around the world. Father, for everyone across generations. Father, I thank you for sending your son, Jesus. Jesus, I thank you for being obedient to the Father. I thank you for giving us the Holy Spirit. Father, right now, I say to you that I give you my life again, like I did 30 years ago. Father, I give you my life. Help me help us be a generation that speaks the gospel like no other generation before us. Father, that's where God, that's where revival comes from. From preaching the gospel of the resurrection. God, I thank you and I praise you for all that you do and all that you do for us. In Jesus' name, amen.